All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick it 50. Starting to feel like the draft is getting closer and closer. And with that, we say welcome into First Draft. I am Field Yates, joined by the two men synonymous with the NFL Draft, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. And normally we make pleasantries and talk about a few things off the top of the show, but we have all just arrived back from Indianapolis. At least Todd and I, Mel, the godfather, just watches the event on TV because that's how he can roll. We have so much to dive into, so let's get started right away. A wonderful week of Indianapolis football wrapped up after seven days. And we are grateful for the city of Indianapolis for doing an amazing job of hosting the event. Certainly feels like the perfect city to have that event, at least in my opinion, going forward. We have so much to dive into, and this feels like the draft process is really kicking into another gear. So I'm going to start with you, Todd, and talk about some first impressions from this week in Indianapolis. Players maybe that stood out for the right or the wrong reasons. First of all, it was a record-setting weekend. I mean, all four days we saw records broken at at multiple positions, 40 times, broad jumps. It was remarkable to see the best day, and, and we kind of all knew it was Saturday with the defensive linemen and linebackers. I mean, I can't remember in 22 years of going to Indianapolis for the combine a better single day than what we had. And it kicked off with the big fella, Jordan Davis from Georgia. I mean, what an unbelievable workout he had. I said it on SportsCenter the other day. It's a my Mount Rushmore has always been, and I think it's just kind of going back when I was younger and, and at the event and timing him with my stopwatch. But watching Calvin Johnson come in, he, he wasn't going to work out, but he showed up at 239 pounds, and there was all this buzz about him. Was he a tight end? Is he out of shape? And he ran a, a 4.38 at 239 pounds. It's like, all right, give me my gym bag. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, Vernon Davis at the tight end position. Got a lot of money from Under Armour after that because of that workout that he put on, the best tight end workout probably ever. And, and then uh, Adrian Peterson, you know, the, all, all the drills, just doing what Adrian Peterson does. But I finally got a fourth face for that Mount Rushmore of the combine, and it's Jordan Davis. 4.78 he ran in the 40-yard dash. A 4.78 at 341 pounds, six foot six. And then if, as if that wasn't enough. And by the way, I went back and looked just to kind of compare against the guys that he's going to be chasing after in the NFL, it was a faster time than a lot of starters, including Patrick Mahomes, who ran slower at 225 pounds in his, in his combine workout. That's a 116-pound difference. I mean, the big fellow was moving. And it should be noted, he's, he took off a little bit of weight from that SEC championship game to the playoffs, and, and he's been really working on his body. Now, that's the big – if you talk to anyone at Georgia, the frustration in the year-long battle – every year when Jordan Davis was keeping his weight down. Mm. You can see now what he can do as an athlete at 341 pounds. If he can keep it there, maybe he's more than a 25-play-per-game guy. Uh, but to me, that, that was the uh, – that in addition to the, the broad jump where he set a record for the longest broad jump of any player ever at the Combine, over 300 pounds. I think it was a 10-3 in the broad jump. That to me stood out. And then his teammate, his teammate Trayvon Walker at defensive end, had one the best, I think, all-around workout, 35-and-a-half-inch arms, uh, 272 pounds. He comes out and, and runs a 4-5-1, I think it was, officially in the 40-yard dash. Had a great all-around workout. And then the best player on Sunday in terms of just a workout, Tariq Woolen. We've been telling you guys about this, this young man from UTSA. 
Started off as a receiver, switched to cornerback two years ago, played well his first year, really wasn't a great tackler, was still learning the position from an instinct standpoint. Had a great season this past year, became more physical and aggressive, and he was just seeing the picture clearer. But what you love about him is he's six foot four. I mean, you you just love length at corner. Six foot four, 205 pounds, 33 and five eighths inches arm. Like that's a left tackle in the NFL, almost 34 inch arm. And he ran a four, two, six. 40-yard dash, one of the fastest times at this combine and one of the fastest times in the history of the combine. So you're talking about the, the length and the speed that is so coveted at that position. The fact that he was a receiver, has great ball skills, and you look at him in the position drills, he looks like a 5'11", 200-pound corner with how smooth he is and how quick his feet are. So I'll be interested. Mel, what do you think? Like, Tariq Woolen, we've got this class with Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati. We Obviously, we've got Derek Stingley from LSU we can get into later. The two Washington cornerbacks and, and uh, Trey, Trey McDuffie and, and uh, Kyler Gordon. Andrew Booth didn't work out from Clemson, but they've all been in the mix at first round. With Woolen in this workout, what do you think happens? Is he a first-rounder now or just early second? Well, I'll see you guys next week. Time's over, so we'll get back to normal <laughs> next week, Todd. Thank you for giving me two minutes, pal. I really appreciate that, buddy. I- I'm glad That's I stay at the compound. That's what happens when you stay in Maryland for the combine. Here, I can tell you that. Uh, I got a hell of a lot more done here at the combine. I'm not giddy like it's the first time I ever saw a guy play. It's like, Todd, settle down, pal. I mean, it's like you, you think it was Christmas morning. You're opening up presents. I saw some of those for the first time long before Christmas Day. In this case, it was called football season from September to uh, you know November. So I think you, you're acting like these guys all of a sudden. And some of the guys, I'll give you a long list of names. I got on this paper. Guys the bus, who had I mean, seriously. And I got another list of names, which I'm not going to bore you with, the guys that didn't do well at the combine. They had great pro careers. So, we won't get into the weeds on all that. Suffice to say, if you like the guy coming in, it puts a little bit of an exclamation point at the end of the sentence. If you didn't like a guy, it's not going to change your mind. If you like the guy and he didn't do great at the combine, there's something called a pro day coming up, which normally allows these guys to improve on those numbers, sometimes significantly. I've got another laundry list of names right here that I can give you on that. But I think just to, to cut to the positional battles, I think it's going to be fun to see. And I always call it the combine. It should be another C for confusion. That's mm. what the combine creates in your mind. I'm watching this. I'm getting a close look at these guys, and you guys are there at the game. You don't have to be at the Super Bowl to watch the Super Bowl and analyze this. So I'm watching this stuff up close, getting all the different angles, watching everybody go through it like you're right on top of the guy. And yeah, at the end of the day, what did you really learn? That's what you have to try to put in perspective. What did you learn? What did you glean from it? How do you utilize that tool, that part of the process, to make an evaluation on, do I like this guy or that guy, and how do I finally rank these guys? That's the troubling part of this process when you factor in the combine. You got tied there, you know, waxing poetic about Kuiper, everybody. Kuiper. Like it's the first time you saw these guys. Kuiper, you, know, you just spent, three, you just spent three minutes. You just spent three minutes of everyone's time in the audience, and yeah, you didn't tell me one thing you learned from the combine. And you, didn't answer, and you didn't answer the question, what about Tariq Woolen, one of the best workouts? Where do you think this leaves him? Where do I think it leaves him in the second round? I think it leaves, you can't, the first round in terms of the workout, fine, but he's still raw. He's still, tape was good, not great. I like Zion McCollum. I, you want to get to a guy I like, and I talked about him before the combine. I gave you a little head start on what Zion McCollum was when I went off script. Zion McCollum had 13 career interceptions. He played really well at Sam Houston State. He's got great length. He ran well. There's the kind of guy I personally like to see do well because I like them coming in. Okay, so there's a the kind of kid that can move up. I talked about 
Sky Moore, Western Michigan receiver. Todd, already off script on him because he was a great football player at Western Michigan. What did he do? He went out and he tested really well. Again, there's a kid, Calvin Austin III. Like him at Memphis. Why? Because he not only was a fast guy, former track, but he played football well. And he ran what we thought he would run. So I think when you look at my point is rank the guys. That's the thing. I'm trying to sit here and figure, okay, Sky Moore, I liked him coming in. Do I like him more now than I did before? No, I'm not going to go crazy on those numbers. And in terms of the pass rushers, we've had guys, David Ojabo. David Ojabo ran really well. He tested really well. Okay, so where do you, what do you do with him? You know, do you move him up a little bit from where I had him? Probably. Okay, some were a little more down because he was a one-year wonder, but he's got the potential to be really good as Aiden Hutchinson said during the combine. He's still learning. There's some things he asks. I say, you don't know that? You're going to know, once you know those things and they come, they're second nature, he's going to be really, really good. So those are some of the guys, Todd, that I thought you like coming in and you love the workout that they had. Nick Cross, a Maryland kid. Love the workout, okay? But what I do, I had him like the eighth nice safety. What I do with him? My guy, Chance Campbell, did you watch him? Former Calvert Hall Cardinal. Had a heck of a workout. Liked him coming in as a fourth or fifth rounder. He ran really well. He had a 39 and a half vertical. So I think that Damone Clark and, and, uh, and, and Christian Harris, how do you separate those two? They're right there. It's kind of like... You know, when Devin Bush and Devin White came in. And then what do you do with Devin Lloyd? He didn't have a great time. Okay. Kyle Hamilton didn't have a great time. But yeah, they're still great football players. So are you going to, I'll ask you, Todd, are you going to adjust your rating on Devin Lloyd at all based on a 4.6940? No, I'm not going to adjust it. I'm not going to adjust it at all because he plays fast. And that's the thing. I, I've studied all mm -hmm. of his tape. He plays fast because he prepares as well as any linebacker in this class. And he's so, he's has such great instincts. Um, and when you look at it, Nicobe Dean didn't work out. You know, I think he's still trying to, after playing in the national championship game, wanting a little bit more time to prepare. Mm -hmm. He's not going to run a great time. I know that. He has shorter arms. I know that. That's fine. But what I do know about him, and it wasn't that short. Every, every scout you talk to in the league, it drives me crazy. They try to tell me what Nicobe Dean can't do. Oh, he has short arms. He falls off of tackles. He's going to get enveloped by bigger blockers in the NFL. Well, I don't see that in the SEC for 15 games this past season. Mm. His arms weren't that short. They were right around average over the five-year combine tally, if you go back and look mm. at it. And if he runs somewhere in the four fives, four sixes, great, because he plays like a 4-4 four, four linebacker on tape, and that's what matters. I, I still think – and listen, I know Nicobe's going to fall because everyone I talk to in the league says it. I still have him as one of the top 12 players in this entire draft class, and I don't care if he's sitting there on the top of my board from pick 12 to 24 and goes to Dallas at that spot. I'm going to feel great about what Dean's going to do in the NFL. I don't care where he gets drafted. I said the same thing last, last year about Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. I said, I, I don't understand why he's going to second. There were some concerns about the durability and can he hold up over the long term, and he's undersized. Look at the season he had last year, and he's only going to get better next season. I think the same thing with Kobe Dean. We overthink these linebackers a lot, and I think Lloyd and Dean, if you just study the tape and trust your eyes on the tape, they're two of the best 15 players in this entire class. Yeah, there might have been a couple teams towards the bottom Todd, of the first. Let me just say one thing, Field. My oh, no. three minutes, Field, my three minutes – was just telling you what Todd just said in about a minute. We're and a waste. So he he was chewing, he, he was destroying me for saying what I did. <laughs> then he comes back and gives us a little bit of a rant against the NFL, which said what I did. It gets back Kiefer, to the tape, Todd. Kiefer, let's saying. make this about the yeah, young men. Gets back to the tape. Let's Not make this about the young men. Just everybody out. ran great. Let's just say it. Everybody ran great at the combine except a handful of kids. Most had really good works. I was sitting there like it was happenstance, running a four four. It was like no big deal. It was it became a no big deal type of thing. So many guys 
guys were running so well. I got to tell you, by the end of this week in Indianapolis, if I had to run a 40, you wouldn't need like a sundial to calculate how slow I was moving because all I did for five days, however long I was out there, was just eat countless calories. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's hone things in a little bit. You guys gave us a handful of names there, quite a few. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple of positions specifically. Let's start with the offensive line. And Mel, I'll let you go first here because I thought the offensive line, there were a couple of players that I think we all kind of believed were already first round, if not borderline first round picks. They maybe really solidified their status with a couple of days in Indianapolis that were really strong. Which guys maybe stood out to you amongst the offensive line? You know, I think Iki Ikuanu, uh, you know, this is a guy who is battling to be the number one pick in the draft with Evan Neal, who's going to be working out in late March. But to, to see him and to watch him and then know how he played this year and the improvement he made in pass protection, how he was destructive all along as a run blocker, and that whole guard tackle deal, forget about it, he's a left tackle. Uh, yeah, he's a tough guy not to say he's going to be the number one guy. Todd talked about him last week as a guy that was going to test and, and run really well, and he did. And not maybe quite as well as, as some maybe thought, but he he ran a great but 497. He was a phenomenal kid. Trevor Penning, you thought would run around a five flat, exceeded that. Uh, he's a talented kid. Charles Cross, I think, is the one that people had some mixed opinion on. People were saying I had him too high. You drop him into the 20s. Uh, yeah, he's going to go probably sixth high. You can tell me, I mean, Carolina, Jordan Gross was the last left tackle. They couldn't block anybody for Sam Darnold. Once McCaffrey got hurt, they couldn't do anything, right? They were 3-0 with him, 3-0 when they blocked somebody, and then it, it, it didn't work. Well, at sixth, you take a Charles Cross. I think it's a little high for Trevor Penning, but you know, Cross, I think, made himself with some money. He defined himself as a top 10 pick. And then I think Dylan Parham is a guy we're not going to talk a lot about because he's not a first-round pick, but Dylan Parham on tape was really good, tested well. I love the kid. I, if he gets into the third round, Todd, you're going to have yourself a starting guard center for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I like this class. Obviously, we have to see Evan Neal at his, his pro day, what he does not work out. Uh, Iquanu, you either like Iquanu or you like Neal, and that's going to be fascinating to see what Jacksonville decides. If you go back and look at Doug Peterson, the head coach of the Jaguars, what his history is with offensive linemen, he had a lot of guys that, that could move fast. You know, he had, he had guys that ran sub-five-second 40s, and, and, and he had the best offensive line with the Eagles the year that they won the Super Bowl, probably in the league that year. So I, I, I tend to lean towards Aquanu because he's more explosive and, and has more of those athletic traits. But I'll be interested to see what Neil does from, from an athletic standpoint. He's obviously a lot bigger, too. I mean, you're talking about six foot four, three ten. For um, for Aquanu and with with Neil, you're getting a much bigger, larger human being. So that's going to be a fascinating debate and one that you know, unless unless word leaks out of Jacksonville, it's kind of anyone's guess which way they're going to go with that number one overall pick. But Todd, I got to tell you, I know that Evan Neal is a very, very large human, but he carries it like a power four in a basketball team. He is lean as all get. It looks, honestly, you could have told me he was 280 pounds, not 337. I would have believed it, and yet he pancakes you know guys left and right. You know the beauty of these two guys, too, is if you talk to Nick Saban and you ask him about his big left tackle and the right tackle from two years ago and guard from three years ago, the first thing he's going to say is not that he's, he's you know, 6'7", well, was, he was around 340 pounds, I think, at the combine. But he's going to talk about how smart he is and how mature he mm. is. And you sit down and you meet with Neil in, in meetings, with the coaches' meetings and the player meetings before a game. And he comes in and he's just he's so dialed in. He's so intelligent. Football intelligence is outstanding for an offensive tackle. Then Iki Aquanu, don't forget, he turned down two Ivy League scholarships to go play at NC State. And that obviously speaks to his intelligence and, and, and what he's able to do, and you see that on the field. So both either of these guys, if you just throw out the 
throw out the physical tools, you're getting a smart, mature individual that's coming into your locker room. And I think both are ready to start at a very high level in the NFL day one. I've got March 7th on my Let me say account. one thing, Field, about Go ahead, Abraham no. Lucas. Abraham oh, yeah. Lucas and the right tackle out of Washington State. If the Giants don't yes. take an offensive lineman early, guys, he's a right tackle in the second round. The Giants have that early, too. Teams are looking for a pure right tackle, an experienced guy, battle-tested and pass pro at Washington State. Abraham Lucas, a plug-and-play guy. I mean, with the ability to keep that frame between the defensive end and the quarterback on a regular basis, get enough movement in the run game, and his experience. And a guy, like I said, if you're looking for a rookie who can come right in and perform based on the experience there with the Cougars, then what he showed obviously at the combine with the numbers uh, you can't overlook a guy like that and say well we're going to push him I had heard third fourth round for him going in I got to believe he's a second and Matt Willetsko from North Dakota liked his tape liked his potential he's got the length as a, as a day three guy we'll be talking about Todd on Saturday uh, what's that April 30th uh, Matt Willetsko is a kid I think has shows some promise and shows some intriguing capabilities just going back to Lucas mm-hmm. real quick 6'6 315 pounds you were in a 492 40 yard dash so anyone running a sub five second, just for people who don't know, anything under under five seconds for an offensive lineman, especially that size, six six three fifteen, is is outstanding. And then you have the fastest short shuttle of all these guys with the four four zero, the fastest one of all of them. Mm-hmm. And again, he's a big. T- it's not like he's a six four three hundred and ten guy like Ikiakuanu. He's one of the bigger offensive tackles, and he went out and posted the best. Short shuttle, which is, in my opinion, if you go back and study the history of it and you want a correlation between one drill and success in the NFL, it's that. Anything under 4.62 in that short shuttle is outstanding, and it seems to translate because of the mirror and slide ability you have to have as an offensive tackle. Lucas had an awesome workout, and I agree with you. He's not getting out of the second round, and it might be early in the second round when he comes off the board. I feel like the forecast on the top five picks is still rather cloudy right now, but I think if I were to make a bet at this moment, it would be that an offensive tackle goes number one overall. And I think we have to declare, from now on, like any rhetoric about Evan Neal and Iki Aquanu that separates one from the other is not to suggest, like if you have Iki Aquanu second, it's not because he's got things that you don't like about him. It's just that you like Evan Neal that much more. You really can't go wrong with either of these players, the top of a very good offensive line class. Todd started off by telling us about Jordan Davis, who just absolutely demolished the combine, Mel. You've been following this event forever. How about this defensive tackle group as a whole? And then Jordan Davis, who, by the way, Mel, uh, Todd mentioned, a 47840. Uh, nearly a decade ago, we were talking about Dontari Poe, massive man, similar to Jordan Davis. I think we ran a 49840, and we were slobbering over that. Two-tenths of a second faster. This was one for the record books by Jordan Davis. It was, and there was any doubt about him being a one. I thought the Chargers would look maybe for a Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker is another guy you kind of tie into Jordan Davis based on his workout, and Todd had been raving about him for a long time. And then he goes out and he has an historically great workout, and then Jordan Davis does something we never see. This is a rare quality. You know about unique, rare, what Jordan Davis did. The performance, not getting the sacks, but there's a lot of guys along that defensive front, and the way they utilize those guys didn't allow for opportunities for Walker as much, dropped him into coverage. I think when you look at a guy like Davis. He needs like a Sean Robinson. I like him coming out of Alabama. Knew he wasn't going to be a great pass rusher, but he was dynamic. He was a destructive 
stop you in your tracks uh, run defender. Like he would clog up the middle. And what he's done with the Rams around pass rushers. If you have Robinson like they do with the Rams, it was a great move by Les Snead because he had all these guys getting after the quarterback. Then you have a guy inside who doesn't allow for any running game, okay? Puts you in a, behind the sticks. So now you get a guy like Jordan Davis. If he goes to a team that has some pass rushers to complement what he will do, clogging things, then by this workout, you may get a few more sacks than you think. All of a sudden now, he's a guy instead of maybe 20 to 40 may go a little even higher than 20 uh, and, and end up being a guy who, like A. Sean Robinson, is not only a great run defender, but gives you a little disruption against the pass as well. Yeah, and I think the Chargers at 17 makes a lot of sense. Like, we've talked about it before, Mel. They, they, going back to that divisional playoff loss against the Patriots a few years ago, their run defense has been a, a month, you know, down the, in the bottom of the NFL, and they struggle with that. And they, getting one individual can help change all of that because mm. it frees up the outside guys. It frees up your linebackers to chase. And, and even if it's only 30, 35 plays a game in the NFL, that's worth it to me. I, I, after that workout, how do you as a defensive line coach and a defensive coordinator say, listen, if we can keep that weight down, Let's work with this guy. He's he's already an exceptional run defender. We can get more out of him as a pass rusher. I just think it'll it'll surprise me if, if on the first night of the draft if he gets past pick twenty. And I think seventeen for the Chargers is a great landing spot. You know, I think sometimes we have to play by a one size fits all rule book in the draft because we're imagining what Jordan Davis could mean to not just the Chargers, but to the Bengals or to the Steelers or to whoever you want to insert. Maybe he doesn't make sense as a first round pick for every team because maybe they already have a good enough run defense and he's only playing 45 or 50% of the snaps. But someone like the Chargers, who have been so bad against the run for so long and were just terrible last year against the run, like maybe they say, other teams, it may not make sense, but for us, it does. He certainly has some unique traits. We're going to come back in just one minute. I want to pick the guys' brains on more defensive linemen because it was a good week for a lot of guys beyond Jordan Davis. But first, CSX Transportation is an industry leader on the move. The railroad company has immediate openings for freight train conductors. So join the CSX team and start your paid on-the-job training today, earning nearly $25 per hour with no degree required. If you're safety-focused with a passion for great service, you've got what it takes to move your career forward at CSX. Apply at csx.com careers. That's csx.com careers. CSX is an equal opportunity employer. First Draft is also brought to you by GEICO. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. After all, who doesn't love a great deal, right? And when it comes to great rates on insurance for all the things in your life, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners, condos, or renters insurance. You can save even more with a special discount when you bundle your coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use Geico mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more by choosing to switch to Geico and become an easy choice. Switch today, and you'll see all the ways you can save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com to get a rate or quote and contact your local agent to get started and see how much you could save. All right, so we're back here. I want to go back to Mel here because Jordan Davis stole the show. He was, in some ways, the story of the combine based off his physical testing, Mel. But are there other defensive linemen, whether it's somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson or players beyond that that you thought really shined or were notable one way or the other at the combine? 
Yeah, Hutchinson, to me, when you look at the way he ran, they got him at 20, okay? They were able to get him at 20. You know, Trayvon Walker and Thibodeau, through 20, he was leading, okay? So how many times is the defensive end going to worry about 25 yards? So I think that that's the ability there, and those 10-yard splits very important there. But for uh, Hutchinson, he got faster 40 than, what, Joey and Nick Bosa, so I think he's fine. I think Amari Barno, coming off the edge, Todd, historically, you got all the numbers. The run under 4-4, the length he has. Now, he only had three and a half sacks, but that was a, a, a tough year for Virginia Tech with all that was going on and swirling around about that program. Amari Barno is going to be really intriguing to defensive coordinators because you didn't see necessarily the great sack production this year you wanted to see, but the length and the explosiveness, he has the right attitude, the right approach, and the way you can move him around and create some real opportunities to get after the quarterback and get those sacks and finish plays. Anybody that runs that well is going to get everybody's attention. They're going to send everybody back to the tape, study it, talk to everybody. Justin Fuente is going to get calls. Everybody's getting calls on Amari Barno based on that unbelievable, historically great combine workout. Mel, six foot six. He put on seven pounds from the senior bowl. He's up to 246. Mm. Still a little bit undersized, but he's got 34-inch arms. Again, that's a left tackle in the NFL. Excellent arm length. And then he runs a 4-3-6-40 yard dash, which beats any other edge in the history of the combine. Montez Sweat had a 4-4-1 in his, in his uh, 40 yard dash, and that was the best at the time. So he's got the fastest 40, he's up to 246 pounds, 34 inch arms, and had a 37 inch vertical jump. I mean, this is like a historic workout for an edge rusher, and I agree with you. There's, there's so much to work with there. Yes, he's gotta get a little thicker and stronger in the lower body, but you, you're telling me in the second round that I can get a guy with those kind of traits? I'm going to jump at that opportunity, especially as a pass rusher. Uh, to me, there's no chance that Barno gets out of the second round. It's on my, my Jay Sanders. I, yeah, I like the tape at Cincinnati. Yeah, he didn't get as many finishing sacks, but he was getting after the quarterback. And then to come in as light as he did, Todd, it was, was there any talk about that? I don't think you were there. You're talking to people. Did Sanders wait? Is that something that was coming up a little bit? It was shocking to most people. Now, he said that he had uh, some kind of virus. He wasn't feeling well for several days leading mm. up to the combine, and that, that may have had something to do with it. He attributed the weight loss to that. But still, like a 228 it just doesn't make sense for an edge rusher. And a guy who – he wins with power too. It's not like he's this, just a speedster off the edge. He'll get up and into guys' pads and knock them back and then work the rip move from there, then work the, the, the outside in move. From that point. So it was really surprising to see. I'm hopeful for him because I like BJ Sanders as a player, and I think that he's got a really good upside at the next level. I had him as a second round prospect, and but we'll see. I'm hoping that he gets that weight back up and has a really good pro day to show that hey, it was just because I wasn't feeling well. I lost weight with this virus from, from the senior bowl to there, and you can see I put that weight back on. I like to see him. I mean, in the league, I want to see him around 250. And that's what he was supposed to be like in the high 240s, a little bit, a little bit more weight on his frame than, than we saw with Barno at 246. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, at first, I, and everyone in the league, we we're all talking about it, like, was it a ploy just to get weight down to run fast? Or is he trying to move to like a Sam linebacker spot? What's the thinking here? But hopefully it was just a, a temporary thing with, with being sick. 228 pounds, much lighter than you would have expected going into Indy. Let's move from the defensive line to the players that finished up the event on Sunday, that was the defensive backs, cornerbacks, and safeties ran and participated in on-field drills yesterday. And Todd, start at the top here only because two guys that I think 
made not, not quite headlines, but their 40s caught our attention for different reasons. Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati ran a 4-4-1 officially. He's considered, if not the number one, the co-number one cornerback. But I think right now it feels like the number one. Meanwhile, Kyle Hamilton might be the best player in this class, regardless of position, ran, and I'm going to use air quotes here, only a 4-5-9. Uh, what do those two performances from those two players mean yesterday? And did they do anything to impact your view on them relative to probably a top five or eight pick? Yeah, I think Sauce just kind of solidified the fact that he's the best corner in this class. He came out, it's, it's uh, what was it, 6'2 and 3 quarters inches. He's 190 pounds, 33 and a half inch arms, and ran a really good time. I was nervous, to be honest, at first, because I think the unofficial first 40-yard dash was around a 4.50. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go, you know. A corner not running well, is he going to get bumped down? There's going to be this debate. But the official time turned out to be 4.41, which is outstanding, especially for someone his size, and he looked great during the, the workouts. Kyle Hamilton looked great during the on-field workouts, had excellent uh, broad jumps and vertical jumps. You see the explosiveness. The time was not what we expected, but we got to remember with this guy, like he, he's a pterodactyl. You know, 6'4", I, I, I don't have the exact number, around 220, 225 pounds is where he plays. His tape is awesome. His ball skills are outstanding. His reaction skills as a player that can play in the box can play that overhang, can blitz off the edge, can cover your tight end, can cover your bigger receivers, can play the single high pos position. In a league now where you've got to have defensive backs that can stay on the field all three downs and can play multiple roles, he can be your dime linebacker and still cover guys. So 6'4", 220, you see it there. Yes, it's not ideal. You'd like to see him run a little faster. Maybe he runs at the pro day and gets it down around 4-5. I was expecting like 4-4-8 for Hamilton. But ultimately, to me, he's, he's still the second best player in this draft behind Aiden Hutchinson. And, and I don't think that's going to change from this point until, until the, the draft when it comes up in late April. Now, unique player. You don't see a Kyle Hamilton in dress, but every 20 years maybe you might find one. So I got to believe the Jets, somebody in that top group, still going to look at him. Uh, these 40 times, it's about playing football, and the pro days will be coming up. But I look at a guy like Daxton Hill. When you talk about him, the run the way he did, he's got the length, he made plays in a variety of ways at Michigan, the way they utilized him in that defensive scheme. I got to believe Daxton Hill may have worked his way into the late first round. Someone had him there. I was kind of thinking more second round. I agree, Mel. Hills a guy. I agree. They go back. I mean, he does everything you want. A coordinator is going to see a guy with tremendous versatility. And to be as fluid and as athletic and as long as he is, I got any experience that he has. Like I say, intercepting passes, getting after the quarterback, covering in the slot. He's done it all. Uh, but to get back to Zion McCollum, Todd, the production, the 13 career interceptions, 41 career pass breakups, six career forced fumbles, and that length and the way he ran speaks volumes. But to go back to Sauce Gardner, love the kid. Love everything he did. But we're forgetting about some of the guys that didn't. Derek Stingley Jr. Mm. To me, is going to still be my number one corner. Even at the night when they had the combine workout, you know, I'm looking at, at Stingley saying, "Is this guy supposed to drop because of two years with COVID and all the things that went along with that? And a disappointing year at LSU. He had more pass breakups, more interceptions. Some of these guys didn't have career. Todd McDuffie, you were talking about at Washington, is a lock one, right? Top 15, two career interceptions. Kyler Gordon, two career interceptions. He had six in one season and 15 pass breakups, and he worked against Jamar Chase in practice. Did it against those big time." Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson in the three meaningful games, the, you know, the SEC title, semifinal game championship. Derek Stingley Jr., uh, he's my number one corner. And I had seen and heard somewhere, Todd, and I don't know what they were talking about down at the combine. I want to get your – because I know you were brought his name up to all your guys when you went out. 
I had somebody say 20. How's he going to get the? Is he going to get the 20? Yeah. If he, if Derek Stingley gets beyond 10, something's wrong. But if he ever got into the teens or 20, Todd, what the heck's going on here? You, you got to you know, educate me on Derek Stingley Jr. and why he can drop that far. Scouts and, and general managers are, are frustrated. And, and to be quite honest, if you study some of those tapes from the last two years, like the UCLA game was probably the lowest of the low. You know, changing his pursuit angles to, to avoid contact, getting close, but then kind of pulling up and not, not mixing it up versus the run. I mean, let's call it what it is. We all know what it, what it was. 2019, he's a freshman on a national championship team making a run. And he plays, plays outstanding, as you would expect him to, plays his best ball. And that tape, as I've said before, compared to any year that you want with Sauce Gardner, especially this past year, which was his best tape, I'm taking Stingley. But the last two years, you get the Liz Frank injury, and you've got the, the fact that he just he checked out. So why not just opt out? If you're going to play, you've got to play. That's the deal with Stingley, and that's the frustration in the league is that he opted in. He decided, I'm going to play in 2020 and 2021. So if you decide to play and you're going to line up there with your 10 teammates and you're going to say, let's go, then you better go. And he didn't. And that's the frustration. And you just want to, you want to know that you're going to get a player when you're, you're trailing in a game or things aren't going well. What's he going to do? And, and that's, the, that's what everyone in the league is talking about. I don't think it, it warrants him falling to 20. I've heard people say, you know, it might be in the teens somewhere. And, and everyone's kind of assuming he's still top 10. I don't assume at all that he's a top 10 after talking to everyone in the league. I think he's a top 10 talent, hmm. but what are you going to get out of him? That's the question that every, and everyone in the league, as you know, Mel, everyone's afraid of using a top 10 pick and getting a player that's up and down. And if things aren't going well, he's going to quit on your football team. And that's the reason that he's in this position right now. Feels like the next month and a half or almost two months are going to be critical for Stingley as well. Private workouts, pre-draft visits, a team for a chance for these teams to both see Stingley medically and also get a better feel for the personality. We haven't heard or seen much from him over the past two years because of the COVID year and this past year with the Liz Frank. Uh, Mel, go back to you. Any other standouts or notable workouts in the defensive backfield or really anywhere from the combine that you feel like are must mentions right now? Yeah, I think we got to get back to the pass rushers as they protect those defensive backs. And Boye Mafe, mm. I mean, to see him and Todd Senior Bowl week, what he did at Minnesota with the Golden Gophers, and to have that kind of workout, all that translates into a guy that can be a big-time double-digit sack producer in the NFL. And then Arnold Ebiquette, we talk about not running, but the vertical and the length. And everything about Ebiquette screams to me first round. If he gets into the second round, he's going to be a steal. And then you think about Troy Anderson. We talked about we chronicled everything he did quarterback, linebacker, everywhere. He did everything at Montana State. To run 4-4-1 and to have the ability he showed in coverage to be an every-down guy at Montana he was He was one of my off-the-script guys, uh, was Troy Anderson. I mean, you've got to love everything about this kid. And I think that translates to the kid who's going to tackle well. He's going he's gonna to be a guy, one of your top three tacklers. He's going to get interceptions. He's going to be disruptive to the quarterback with that length. He goes sideline to sideline with that 4-4 speed. i, I got to believe Troy Anderson. I, I think it's not an exaggeration to think. Mel. I think mid second round, uh, yeah, it's got he's got to be a Friday pick and probably pretty early on Friday. Yeah, I, he, I think he's a round two pick, and I think Troy Anderson is a day one starter in the league. And for people who don't know, he's a Montana State linebacker, so a lot of people don't know his story. He shows up in Montana State, not highly recruited, comes in as a running back. They convert him to quarterback, plays pretty well. Then they convert him to linebacker. And in two years, he winds up being the, 
He was voted the FCS Defensive Player of the Year. Comes to the Senior Bowl was sensational. We all agreed on that. He was one of the best players at the Senior Bowl based purely on performance during the week of practice and in the game. And then he comes to the, the combine, and he's, he's not just like this 228-pound guy. He's 243 at six foot three. So he's got length. He's built well. He ran that 4-4-1 or 4-4-2, whatever official time you're going off of. These, the numbers are crazy. Don't get me started. But he also had a 36-inch vertical jump and a 10-8 broad jump. 36 vert, 10-8 broad. Those are explosive numbers at a position that you're looking for that lower body explosion. Like I said, Troy Anderson, to me, is a day one starter in the league who brings versatility, and I don't let that guy out of the second round. So a lot of names covered so far, but I feel like I'd be remiss not to ask you guys about the quarterbacks, and obviously we had various level of participation from these quarterbacks, and what always matters for all these players, but especially the quarterbacks, is the on-field production, the interviews, the intangibles, things that are learned, not on TV during the event, but during interviews behind closed doors. But, Todd, I'll start with you. Like, Just general thoughts on the quarterbacks and whether you thought anybody stood out or whether you heard anything about these players that made you feel a little bit different about the group or individuals of that group compared to where you were coming in. Well, let's start with, with Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. Right, He shows up. Dreading this day, you know, probably all year long, but especially since the season ended, where he's got to show his hand span. He doesn't do it at the Senior Bowl. He's double-jointed in his thumb. He's been trying to stretch it out to get a bigger hand span. He got eight and a half inches, and we can get into all that, and I don't care to anymore. I'm sick and tired of talking to his hand span. Yes, the last guy was Michael Vick to have a hand span, hand span under nine inches, and his was identical, eight and a half inches, to have success in the league. And you're going back to 2001, all right? But – to know that that's going to happen and to have all the media backlash, because remember, at that point, there's no workouts to talk about. The only thing we can talk about is Kenny Pickett's handspan. It's on SportsCenter. It's on NFL Live. It's like that's all that's going through the media cycle. And then he goes out and he played. He threw the ball extremely well. It was efficient. All three levels throwing the football. I think that kind of shows you a little bit about him. You know, that it's got to be so frustrating to know that your hand size is the story. And he kind of shut everybody up that night, and I, think, I thought it was cool to see. Two other guys, Malik Willis. On the field is basically what you see when you watch the tape. It's, it's six really good throws, two exceptional throws. You know, he, strongest arm in, the, in the, the quarterback class this year, and he showed it with the deep ball and some of the deep outs and all those other things. But then there's going to be two throws where it's just like, what happened? You know, like the footwork wasn't right or he just misfires. That's what you're getting. You're getting the best athlete and the strongest arm, but a guy that has developing to do with his consistency as a pocket passer. But with Malik Willis, the one thing that really stood out, almost every single person I talked to in the league, and I asked a lot of them about Malik specifically and the quarterbacks, said that his, his interview was one of the best. Not just like the character and, and the – the charisma that he has, because you see the smile and how his teammates just gravitate to him. But also the football intelligence, you know, putting him on the board or, or having him recall plays, that they were really impressed with that aspect, which I think obviously helps his cause. And then finally, Desmond Ritter was another guy that people were raving about, talking about his maturity, talking about his path and what he had gone through as a youngster and overcoming all of that, and his football intelligence and then also on the field, I thought he had the best workout in terms of throwing the football of all the quarterbacks, and he ran the fastest time in the 40-yard dash for whatever that's worth. Yeah, Todd, Ritter's the 
intriguing guy, the toughest guy to really evaluate. I thought he could be QB1. We had talked about him a lot. I liked him. The Alabama game, and I, you always say, you, you try to learn from mistakes you made, and you say, okay, was one game going to ruin what you thought or destroy the grade of what you thought he could be? I'm going to go back to Ritter and say, in this draft class, you know, it's tough not to go with him and not take a leap of faith on Desmond Ritter. He has the attitude, the character, the approach, all that, the want to. He's got all the talent in the world. History tells us talent wins out at that position, at least recently more than ever, okay? So then you go to the Alabama game. The offensive line was overmatched. That impacted him. Maybe he was a little, a little you know, trying to do a little too much. He airmailed it to Al Alec Pierce. Could have been a 7-0 Cincinnati lead. But to say one game against Alabama is going to affect how I grade out this kid. I think also when I was watching this, guys, and I'll finish on this with the quarterbacks, all I can think of, this is making Mitch Trubisky some money. Mm. This, this is making Mitch Trubisky put him in a little bit of more demand than you would have ever thought Mitchell Trubisky could be in, based on what happened with the Chicago Bears at the end of his reign there, okay, his tenure there. Then he goes to Buffalo behind Josh Allen. He kind of just makes everybody see enough to say, hey, yeah, you know, could he be a better option? Or could we put him in, pair him with one of these guys, and let them develop? And also Jimmy Garoppolo. I know he's going to be some time before he's ready to go coming off the injury, but you know, does that make Jimmy Garoppolo? Garoppolo a little more valuable because you know what you're getting. So I thought about Trubisky and Garoppolo, but I also thought about Desmond Ritter a lot. I think you're right. I think he's the kind of guy, you know, that if he's the third quarterback taken behind the two you talked about, Pickett and Willis, uh, you know, in the second round, I'd rather have a second round Ritter then maybe somebody else, maybe if you're going to stretch one of those guys into the top 10, I think that's too high right now based on everything we know and we've seen. Top 10 we thought was a possibility. I don't think so right now unless somebody's going to reach and, and just do what they always do and come late April. Maybe a quarterback gets way overdrafted. Mel, I'm so happy you brought up the Mitch Trubisky comments because I want to be wrong on this, but I am flabbergasted that the entire league had a chance to sign Mitch Trubisky last year, and he got an extremely, extremely thrifty deal from the Buffalo Bills to be a backup. He played zero snaps of consequences here. Zero. It was Josh Allen from start to finish. And all of a sudden, now he's the most desirable free agent quarterback on the market. Again, I want to be wrong on this, but I got to tell you, I'm going to feel a little bit uneasy if I'm a fan of the team that decides this year that Mitch Trubisky is the answer at quarterback. Because if he was available last year in the same scenario and you had five first-round pick quarterbacks and a couple of guys in free agency that got signed, like, are we even talking about him? I don't think we are. In any event, I digress. Uh, let's wrap things up here with a wide receiver recap. And, Todd, I, I, I know we've had some stacked wide receiver classes over the past few years, and there may not be a Jamar Chase in this year's class, but I left this weekend feeling very confident in the group on the whole. There are some fast runners out there again. Yeah, I mean, we set the, or tied the record, I should say, for the most sub-4, 440-yard dashes, and then and Friday night was it was a blast. Just a, or was it Thursday night? I'm, I don't know. I'm getting my days mixed up. It's been a long week. The the night with the wide receivers they ran it was it was so much fun to watch because it was like one guy after another, low four fours, four threes, a couple four twos thrown in. Um, to me, it, it kind of started at the top. We know Drake London from USC didn't work out, still rehabbing off the injury that he suffered midway through the season for the Trojans, and we'll get his pro day you know coming up later in the month, but. The next two guys, we've talked about the Ohio State receivers. I've got Garrett Wilson as my number two receiver. Chris Olave is my number three. And those guys, those guys were outstanding. And the interesting part was we, know, we knew going in that Olave was a burner. And he ran a 4-3-9. Excellent time. Had a great workout. But Garrett Wilson, some people were telling me he might be like a low 4-5 guy. 
And he came out and ran a faster time than Olave at a 4.38, just slightly faster. So to me, that cements Wilson as at least the number two receiver in this draft. And I'm starting to think maybe he could go above uh, Drake London and that become the number one receiver somewhere in that top 10 pick. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And then after that, I thought the most intriguing part were these day two receivers that stepped up, a lot of them from uh, you know non-power five schools. You got Christian Watson from North Dakota State with his length and his speed. I thought he was sensational in the workout. We kind of knew that going in, and he had a really good week at the Senior Bowl as well. Uh, Wandale Robinson from Kentucky, transferred from Nebraska to Kentucky. He's a little you know, smaller slot receiver, exceptional after the catch and with the ball in his hand. He ran well. I think it was the, the low 4-4s four for, for Robinson. Then you've got Calvin Austin, who Mel already mentioned from Memphis. He maybe had the best all-around workout with his vertical jump, his broad jump, he ran in the, the four threes, I think, um, the low four threes, if I'm not mistaken. And, and he's another slot receiver that's, that can take the, the lid off if you need him to and is outstanding after the catch. David Bell from Purdue was really the only one of the second-day receiving prospects that I thought hurt himself. Ran a 4.64, I think was his official time. Ran in the four sixes. I knew he wasn't going to be a 4.4 guy. I was hoping for his sake he was going to be in the four fives. But that makes you kind of go back to look at the tape as a slot receiver. But let me just mention a few other names. Valus Jones had an exceptional workout, strong after the catch, both physically tough, breaking tackles, and then the speed. He showed that speed, one of the fastest 40-yard dashes in the entire combine. Sky Moore, Mel mentioned from Western Michigan, is skyrocketing up the boards in the NFL. This guy's so smooth as an athlete and ran a 4-4-1 in his 40. And then finally, Alec Pierce from Cincinnati, a big, tall, long receiver, excellent vertical jump, one of the best vertical jumps of the receivers, and ran in, the, I think, the four threes or the low four fours as well. So you're talking about the depth of this class at wide receiver past that first five or six guys that could go in round one. I feel great. If I don't get a receiver in round one, I feel great about what I'm going to get on day two in this year's draft. Yeah, Todd, I think there were some guys that didn't even test great that I really like. I'll get to one in a minute. But to go to Pierce, his father was a football player at Northwestern. Mother was a volleyball player at Northwestern. Brother played basketball at William & Mary, then North Carolina, and then overseas. This kid was a all-around four-sport athlete in high school, special teamer early, solo action at linebacker for a bowl game. Then he goes out, 17-plus yard average per catch uh, this, through his career, 17-plus yard average, 11 touchdowns over the last two years. You know about size, length, vertical over 40. The run the way he did and then have the production on the field and a guy who is a mechanical engineering major graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering with a 3-5 grade point what is there not to love about Alec Pierce remember he was open on that slant against Alabama semifinal game and Desmond Ritter Airmail it would have been 7-0 so this is a kid to me is at worst a third round pick maybe a two if Kyle Phillips is enough next Hunter Renfro, I don't know who is from UCLA. And Makai Polk, Todd, I want you to go back and look at this kid. and feel Here's a Mississippi State kid, formerly a Cal, did very little a Cal with 36 catches. That's 105 this year. I love the kid on tape. He goes, gets the low ball. He's not going to take the top off of defense. He's not going to be a vertical stretch guy. He only averaged 10 yards a catch. But I loved his hands, his concentration, the way he competed. Makai Polk ran a 4-5. Now it'll probably be a 5th, 6th, 7th round pick. I bet you he makes a football team that he contributes. 
Part of the reason why I love this show, and we could probably do this for, for four hours on the combine specifically, is that we're like 50 minutes in, and the two of you just went back and forth, just rattling off not just these players and what they do well, but like their numbers. I can barely remember what, like 140 time. Meanwhile, you guys have them all. The combine was a hugely successful week in Indianapolis. Again, I think I speak for all of us in saying we hope it's back in Indianapolis next year and years going forward. It's just such a perfect setup. Uh, but importantly, we got all the context that we need to help us get one step closer to April 28th, night one of the 2022 NFL Draft. You're not done with Mel and Todd and I yet. We're back on Thursday for our usual Thursday show. And then right back here, 2 p.m. Eastern time, live on Monday for the latest on all things 2022 NFL Draft. We'll talk to you guys then.